0: Namaste, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. So spiritual integrity in our world, we're in this teaching called unity because we want to grow spiritually. And in unity, we find principles and ideas and practices that we resonate with and we attempt to live them in our lives the best that we can. And for all of us, or most of us, I suppose, that starts with the personal and individual application of those teachings, hence the first part of our mission statement, transforming lives, our lives. But we stay in the teaching and we continue to transform our lives, and we realize that our lives are meant to ripple outward, that we are part of not just our biological families or our chosen families or our church communities or our city or our state or our country. We're part of a global family. In our Unity Center, we describe ourselves as being spiritually progressive, socially responsive, and unapologetically inclusive. Spiritually progressive, socially responsive, and unapologetically inclusive. The socially responsive part, I think, is where... Our spiritual practices and our beliefs, what we hold to be important about life, what we hold as a standard for ourselves. It is within those social applications, as well as our personal lives, that we attempt to influence for positive change, for the betterment of ourselves and the health and the well being to the extent that we can for others. And so, as I was thinking about, okay, so Mahatma Gandhi said that he felt there were seven social ills in the world, and that if we were to heal those social ills, we could literally transform life on the planet for all of us. He said the social ills were knowledge without character, science without humanity, wealth without work, commerce without morality, politics without principles, which is what we're looking at today, pleasure without conscience, and worship without sacrifice. He felt that if we could begin to transform those, that we would literally transform the world. So what does it mean, politics with principles? That word Politics is charged, isn't it? It is for me. It is for me. The word principle isn't charged, but the word politics is charged. It's like you know, I'd, I'd, it's like a hot potato. I really don't want to go there. I wish he had said there were only six social ills and had left this one out, but he didn't. And and I think it. It. I think he's right. I think he's right that it is a problem. And so yesterday, as I was going deeper into this and and trying to decide how I really wanted to present it, I thought, let me refresh my own mind with the definition of the word politics. Now, I know what it means, but it's been a long time since I looked it up to see what the dictionary defines as its meaning, and it caused me to go, ah, this is an important reminder. So it comes from the Greek word politica, and politics is a set of activities the set of activities associated with making decisions in groups or other forms of powerful relationships and making those decisions, such decisions as distribution of resources, status, and so forth. But the making of decisions in groups or other forms of relationship. I don't know how that lands on you, but that landed on me in a really reassuring way. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's important that we be able to make decisions, good decisions, in groups. How many of you find that it's important to make good decisions in a family group? Your families, right? What happens when you guys, when we guys in families don't make good decisions for the family? What happens? It, it, it can fall apart in, in the extreme, but it's not pleasant, right? There's friction, there's upset, there's disappointment. The set of activities associated with making decisions in groups or other forms of power relationships. It's critical. It's critical that spiritually-minded, conscious people talk about the issues and that we talk about them not just in a silo to each other, not just to the choir, but that we talk about them to those that maybe see things differently than we do. And that we listen, remember we finished a while ago, um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, seek first to understand, then to be understood. That we also listen with a willingness to, to understand a point of view that may be very, very different than ours. I think it's one of the reasons, especially people who I think are in our teaching tend to lean very much toward compassion and kindness. We don't want to make waves. We, we want to try to understand the other. And so sometimes in that, we hold back a bit. And I think that there's a place for us to to enter into the conversation. There's a book written by a couple, husband and wife team, that I met in one of our synthesis dialogues that we held many years ago with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. The name of the book is Spiritual Politics, and the authors are Corinne McLaughlin and Gordon Davidson. And I want to read this paragraph to you. They write, politics is the way we live our lives. Just think about that for a moment. Politics is the way we live our lives. It's not just running for office, it's in the way we treat each other. It's in the way we treat each other. How many of you can remember your mom t- teaching you how to treat your brothers or sisters or your classmates? Raise your hand. Didn't mom teach you? You may have agreed or not agreed. Glenn's got both his hands up, right? You may have agreed or not agreed, but mom's, large, and dad's too. But it's Mother's Day, so I'm focusing on moms. Um, try to teach us how to get along with each other, right? Right? Whether it's in the family or the larger family. So politics is the way we live our lives. It's not just running for office. It's in the way we treat each other as individuals, as groups, as government. It's the way we treat our environment. It's the way we treat ourselves. Politics has to do with where we shop, what we eat, how we maintain our health. It has to do with the kinds of schools we create, the energy we use, the neighborhood organizations we build, the work we do. Politics involves our way of seeing the world, of developing our consciousness, of awakening our whole selves. It has to do with our attitudes, our values, our innermost dimensions. It would be fascinating to me to see what could happen in our country if the very word politics wasn't such an off-putting word for so many of us, if we could shift the culture around the word itself so that we could actually talk more deeply and civilly and respectfully with one another so we can work through whatever the issues are in a way that helps each of us to be better people, to be more successful, to be healthier, to be more prosperous. I think it would go a long, long way. The set of activities associated with making decisions in groups or other forms of power relationships such as the distribution of resources or status. Politics, continuing on with what Davidson and, and McLaughlin were saying, is not just about what happens in governance or the national stage. But It's closer to home for us. We have the expression office, office politics. Have you ever been in a situation where you've worked in an office and there's office politics? Not your head if you know, absolutely. Or how about politics in a club, a membership club you might belong to? Or the politics, and, and now I'm not talking about governmental politics, I'm talking about the people politics, right? Politics in homeowners associations. Boy, that's a place. That's a place that can really, really, really come up for people, right? Politics is not so far. It's close in as well. It's the dynamics of groups. It's how we group together and then how we work through the issues towards some sort of common good or, or benefit or, or greater good. We need to be able to work through organizations and groups and states and countries because there are things that we know this, there are things that we cannot individually do that we need to do as a group, right? Are you with me or my I? Absolutely. So knowing that, knowing that there are things that we've got to do together... We've got to find ways to work together better. And to me, that's where our spiritual beliefs and practices have to come in. I think it's to be completely out of integrity, to leave our, our spiritual beliefs and practices outside of our day-to-day living and decision-making. Our spiritual beliefs and practices aren't only for a place like this or time like this on a Sunday morning. I know you know this, but I imagine that each of us can look inside ourselves and say there may be places that I forget to bring what I know to be true or believe to be true spiritually into the decisions that I make, the decisions I make. When I think of what are the some of the values and, and principles that are important to me spiritually, the qualities. It's qualities like fairness. Fair, did, did mom not teach you to be fair? Fair on the playground? You know, play by, by the rules if you're in a game where the rules are important to be understood. Fairness? Truth? Did anybody grow up being told, don't tell the truth? I don't think so. I don't think so, and some of you are here with mom, right? <laughs> you know, truth, integrity, compassion. What is it that that? I, and I know that there's no such thing as a perfect mom. There's no such thing as a perfect dad. And some of us had much better relation, had and have much better relationships with our, our mothers. I I know that there's a whole gamut there, but by and large, there is a universal recognition that people have toward mothers and motherhood, and that's compassion. That moms want to be there for us, right? Yes? Absolutely. How many times have we seen, and I don't want to paint it too graphically, when someone is being brutalized, taking their last breath, Who do they usually call out for? Mom, right? They call out for mom. And so as we individually examine our own thoughts about what is really important to us, what are the values that are really important to us, those are the things that then absolutely must shape who we vote for, how we vote, how much time and effort we put into reading the ballot, where we get our news, how we get our news. Are we just in a silo or are we actively trying to be as informed as we possibly can, as objectively as we possibly can? And everything I've just said there is not a soundbite. It takes effort. I was talking with one of our members after church last Sunday And we were talking about commerce with morality. That was the the teaching last Sunday from from Gandhi. And this individual was talking about her social investments, that some time ago when she sold her home, she started working with a financial planner and wanted to make sure that the way she was investing her money was socially responsive, a beautiful thing. But then she went on to say, as I understood what she was explaining, that she needed to go even deeper into that and really understand is what she's investing in, really getting at the heart of what she believes and what's really important to her. I was inspired by that. That's the that's that extra effort, right? To me, that's politics with principles. It's not telling somebody else how to vote. It's not shaming somebody else for what they think. I think it begins with us being as clear as we possibly can. What are our values? And are we committed to our values shaping the decisions, informing the decisions that we make? Politics, even in the best of circumstances, is complex and a charged topic, right? Do you agree? Yeah, and it takes courage, doesn't it, to voice your point of view with skill and knowledge and grace. And it takes humility and vulnerability to listen to a point of view that may be very different than your own. To me, in a way, it's an advanced course in consciousness. But I go back to a point I made earlier the importance of spiritually-minded, conscious people engaging in the conversation. The consciousness movement of which we could say unity and science of mind are very much a part of the consciousness movement stands for these kinds of qualities of compassion, of recognizing our interconnectedness with each other. You think of the consciousness movement, there's a lot of good coming out of that. Consciousness movement has done a lot to help people become more aware of the interconnectedness of life, of our relationship not only to one another, but to our world itself, to our planet itself, It's given us ideas and tools and suggested practices to how we can live with a more gentle footprint. When I think of even those words, that idea of living with a gentle footprint, I think of one of the most beloved spiritual teachers on the planet who recently passed, Thich Nhat Hanh. How many times did he teach and emphasize the idea of this walking gently on the planet, one part of many of of his teachings. But this is what it is, I think, to bring our principles, your principles, not mine, yours, into how you live your life, into the decisions you make individually, but then the decisions you make as a group, whether that group is your family or that group is your homeowners association or that group is your club, or that group is maybe you're going to run for office. I hope you do. I hope more of people who kind of have this way of thinking do seek out being in places of influence, being in places of power. I want to touch just very quickly upon what I think is evidence of hope for us. Evidence of hope for us. And that is the idea of the evolution of consciousness. You've heard that term before, right? The evolution of consciousness or conscious of evolution. There is a body of work called spiral dynamics. Raise your hand if you know something about spiral dynamics. If I may be so bold as to suggest a homework assignment, it would be for you to look into. You can Google, get a short article about spiral Dynamics, Dr. Don Beck um, and Dr. Cohen, Spiral Dynamics. It's a theory of the development of consciousness. Now, try to get your mind wrapped around that. A theory of development of consciousness, of the evolution of consciousness, and why that is important. Because for people like us, for whom actively living our lives from a place of consciousness, We can get discouraged, can't we? Or I'll own that. I can get discouraged. When I look out and I say, another school shooting, another this, another that, I can go, when is it ever going to end? Are we making any progress whatsoever? Spiral Dynamics attempts to posit a theory of how we are evolving in consciousness very, very quickly. It begins with, and I'm not going to take you through all of it, The first step on the spiral 100,000 years ago called the instinctive survivalistic stage, the stage representing the earliest kind of human consciousness that focused solely on survival. Then 50,000 years ago emerged an evolved, a higher evolved state of consciousness called tribalistic. They call it tribalistic. At this stage, people formed small groups or tribes based on shared beliefs and rituals, relying a lot on magical thinking. 10,000 years ago, another turn on the spiral of consciousness and evolution of consciousness characterized by the emphasis on personal power and dominance over others. You can track history along this line as well and see what happened, what has happened over the arc of history. 5,000 years ago, another turn on the spiral. The rule-oriented authoritarian consciousness emerges, and at this stage, individuals begin to see the world only in terms of black and white, right and wrong. A lot of structure, a lot of rigidness. 300 years ago, Another turn on the spiral of an evolution of consciousness, individualistic achievement-oriented stage emphasizes the importance of individual success and achievement, values innovation and competition. hundred and fifty years ago, now this is in reach of, you know, our grandparents or our great-grandparents, right? Egalitarian stage that emphasizes and values cooperation. Emphasizes the importance of diversity is just beginning to emerge, social justice, environmentalism. And then there's a second tier that emerges simultaneously according to this theory 50 years ago and more recently. Non-dualistic stage that represents a shift towards integration and complexity and emphasizes the importance of systems thinking, personal autonomy, and respect for different perspectives. And then more recently, the turquoise, these are all colored as well, global. At this stage, individuals embrace a global and holistic perspective and seek to integrate spirituality and science to create a more sustainable and compassionate world. In this whole body of work is studied and laid out the history of what's going on in the world at these developmental stages and when you begin to grasp some of that you can see this arc of progression however these stages are fluid and what the author suggests in their theory of this evolution of consciousness is that we do still retain those previous iterations of consciousness and that it is so important for us when we are working in groups these these um, this theory is used in many organizations, I believe it's been brought into the military, I believe it's been brought into health organizations, into some Fortune 500 companies, as a way to help people understand dynamics in decision making. Does that make sense? That if you're operating at a completely different level of consciousness, the way you see and operate in the world is going to be very different. And if we think that we're all on the same page of consciousness, I'm not talking politics now, I'm talking about consciousness. If we think we're all on the same stage of consciousness, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We have to appreciate this range and begin to understand how to move within that range. So bringing it back to us and bringing it back to taking the negative charge out of the word politics and remembering it's about the activity of making decisions in groups that how do we consciously choose to bring the things that we hold near and dear in terms of our values? I shared with you some of mine, justice, compassion, fairness, equality, integrity. How do I make sure that that is not something I just try to live from in my home and here, but how do I make sure that further reaching decisions I make, whether it is how I vote on something, how, how I engage with the issues, am I being true to the things that I say I hold near and dear? Because sometimes in order to be true to those, It means an investment of time. It may mean a shifting of resources. It may mean scaling back in some areas of life. It may mean a word that we don't often use in in New Thought, but it may mean some sacrifice. And sacrifice for a greater good. Sacrifice for others. And to me... In many ways, that's what motherhood is. Motherhood is there for us. How, how many times did mom make a choice for you because she wanted you to be happy and have what you needed, even if maybe she put aside her own needs? Not every mother maybe does that, but I know a lot of them do. And the ones that maybe struggle with it probably really want to try to show up that way. So maybe all we have to do is remember some of the really good things that mom taught us and make sure we're living them more consistently in our life. I hope an idea or two has been helpful that I've shared this morning. God bless you. Namaste.